want to do one thing, right, just one thing for yourself in the realm of being in your body, I would probably pick one song and maybe two if you have enough time, but at least one song and every day without fail move to that song. Yeah. Uh, ideally, same song, simply because it kind of adds a little bit. It, it, it does two things. The main thing being it, it entrains you. It goes faster and faster and faster. I'd pick something like some of the stuff I played this afternoon, like super simple, not, uh, you know, not, not really one mood or another, but something that when you start hearing it drops you in immediately. Yeah. It's quite useful to use the same song. Now, it doesn't mean that ever so often you couldn't move to something else if the mood strikes you, but for consistency and practice sake, it's usually good to pick one song that you know well and then start moving to that one song. And how you want to move to that one song is not, let's see how I can say this, not to look good or feel good necessary but to move your body with whatever you're feeling. So whatever that is that you're feeling, you know, maybe you're bored, you move boredom. Maybe you're aggravated, you move aggravation. Maybe you don't want to do it, so you move, don't want to do it. Maybe you're numb, move as numb. Maybe you're happy, move as happy. And that's really the, the most basic and fundamental practice because it makes a huge difference. It's little and often you know, that makes the difference. And the more mundane and the um, easier it is to do, the more likely you're actually going to do it. Uh, if you suddenly have these grand ideas that you know, you'll be two hours of practice, uh, it's not going to happen. You know, who has two hours? Even once a week, who has two hours? Uh, so that would be my standard go-to first round of exploration. And then within that, you will see there's all kinds of stuff that shows up. Your relationship to a commitment to yourself, your relationship to your body, your relationship to pleasure, your relationship to expressing emotions, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, becomes very, very interesting. I've done this for so long that I've seen the pretty immense suffering that comes from some of these dogmas, and they've become dogmas. So how you want to live your life is completely up to you, of course, and I can only tell you what I've seen work and what works for me, right? And so in the framework of the masculine and feminine, the thing to always remember is that you do have both. And somebody was saying this over there, the, the, the marriage of the two of them in you is a constant inquiry because it's always so, right? You wouldn't be here if not for your masculine because that's what gets your ass out of bed, dressed, makes you money, gets you in a car, drives you, and all of that. But at the same time, while you do that, you are feminine, if you want to you know, go with these terms, feels what's ha Even when you're driving a car, which is considered a masculine activity, which is complete bullshit, because yes, you need to know where you're going, 
But in order to not get killed, you are finally feeling of everything that's happening. And as anybody who's ever driven knows, after a while, you know somebody's coming long before they're coming, which is the quintessential expression of the feminine. Right? So at no time do you only have one. It's always both there. And it's not that easy to distinguish these things. You know, it's been made so black and white because even as I'm speaking, my creative, ever-moving mind that can go, you know, 50,000 different ways is active, but I still have to keep an eye on the time, on the other people, on where I'm going, what it means. So it's always, oops, <laughs> it's, always the, it's always the marriage of the two. So th that said... The, I said this last night, but I'm going to just say it for whoever wasn't here. The real application of masculine and feminine is in the sexual domain. So because when you want to have, and I'm not even talking genital sex, but that includes genital sex, but when you want to have that friction that delicious erotic dance between two people, doesn't matter if it's men or women you prefer, but when two people dance the dance of the erotic, that requires two different poles. That's the only way it's hot. Now, two people can dance the dance of the sensual where nobody leads, nobody follows, and it's flow, 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 enjoyment, 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 enjoyment. That's also really, really pleasant, but it's not hot in the, you know, you know what I mean by hot, right? <laughs> so, and, and so that's considered water on water is what, what they call it in, Dao, in the Taoist traditions, right? So that would be feminine on feminine. Is, is, uh, is very, very pleasurable, and most of us like playing there a lot, and it's great, and you can get together with somebody else, man or woman, who is in that domain, festivals or uh, drug experiences are a classic example of that. You know, everybody loves everybody, and ooh, and ah, and, ooh. oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's great, but it's not exactly hot. It might be sensual, and it might be pleasurable, but it doesn't have that, you know, for the to happen, you have to have one person pick one side and the other person pick the other side. So you're willingly letting go of one aspect of your sexual expression. The other person lets willingly go of the other aspect of their sexual expression so that you embody the purest masculine and feminine that you can with all the other stuff that's always there, right? Because even if you are the one penetrating, you still need to feel what's happening because otherwise you're just fucking without having any idea what's happening, which we have all experienced. <laughs> yeah? You do need a healthy feeling sense about you even if you're the fucker. And even if you're the one, the, the, the fucky, the, the fucked, the, if, even if you're the fucked, you still have enough sense about you that you can stop something you don't like, hopefully, um, and still enough sense about you that you don't injure yourself or things like that, right? So you willingly give up large portions of the other, you know, polarity for the sake of the sex. That's what it's there for. Now, you don't want to make it a lifestyle because that would, would, and for some people it is a lifestyle, particularly, once again, Northern California. 
where your whole life becomes around how many people you can turn on and with how many people can you fuck or be, or be <laughs> fucked, right? That's a choice, and if that's what you want to do, that comes with a series of consequences. And, but if you don't want to do that, then let's say in business, your wantingness of polarizing into one extreme will mean that somebody gets polarized into the other extreme, which will mean that you are going to have sexual tension with somebody who you are at work with, right? Which is not that useful. Yeah. It's on occasion amusing, but not really, right? <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the worst is then when you then complain about sexual harassment, which happens, you know, but it's... It, these things are involuntary. If you lay something completely down, somebody else will pick it up. So, and that's what I mean with there's always a price to pay. You, there's a seesaw when you purposely relinquish your masculine, let's say. That's not to be conflated with, or, or let me say this differently, that doesn't mean that you can't be in your body pleasurably alive and feeling. Right? Because you can. It's just not the thing that you make visible. So you don't sit on your desk, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, right? You do that internally. Right? You, you learn the mechanisms of keeping your body internally soft and relaxed, which is mostly a, a, a matter of not being stressed, not pushing not being hard mentally, verbally, or otherwise. So that could be then considered feminine, but really it's just being a bit chill, right? And that applies to men and women the same way. You can be, okay, here's what we're doing, you know? Ouch, that hurt. <laughs> yeah. Or you can go, okay, here's what we're doing. You know? And have the same kind of effectiveness but without all that added so where a lot of the myth of you are in your masculine when you work or drive comes from is that people don't understand the difference between a push and and openness because you can do the most masculine activities with a completely relaxed open pleasurable body you can do the most feminine activities, and we all have seen it, right, with total gnarly tension. And you see that a lot in, in, you know, I mean, maybe not here, but in California, where you have these pole dancers, you know, it's like pole dancing is the rage in California. I don't know how it's, if it's come here, you know. Every, every housewife now has a pole in her. <laughs> In, 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 their, in their bedroom and stuff like that. And you see that a lot where there are some people who are just really enjoying it, but there's a lot of people, it's now the new action sport, right? And they're as fucking tight on that pole as they're in the boardroom. Uh, and it's just another thing that needs to be done. Now we have these glass slipper thingies that we're wearing and in the tight outfits and, you know... There's, it's so sad, right? It's just so sad because it could all be just so pleasurable. So that said, it's not easy to be that relaxed and soft while, while performing tasks because 
the nature of performing tasks, the nature of giving orders, the nature of holding space is such that you have to essentially corral and um, hold other people's energies, which of course you then feel, which of course then hurt. And you can feel your own energy and it hurts to have to do certain things. And so it, it's not easy, but it's very doable. And so here's one secret, you know, one of the top 10 tips to blah, blah, blah. One of the secrets is that you stay in touch with what's already pleasurable. So right now, right, I'm doing this here, just this, right? I can feel how my skin moves over the, over the floor and that's pleasurable. It's not orgasmically pleasurable, but pleasurable, right? Or I can feel my, if I put it, pay attention, I can feel my clothes on my body. I can feel them rub over my skin. I can feel my pelvic floor and I can move ever so slightly and feel, you know, tension and release in my pelvic floor or in my belly. Or I can breathe down the front of my body and kind of feel that like a massage. I can run my tongue through my mouth and feel the pleasure of my tongue running over my upper palate. All of those things are always available. But most of the time we're numb to, our, to the sensations of our body, which is useful when you wear a bra 12 hours a day, right? Which is not very pleasant at times. But it's something you can always activate. So I call it, specifically, I call it background pleasure where essentially you find the areas where there is already pleasure and then you amplify from there. You could also do this with articles of like a kind of an altar article and that could be anything from uh, whatever, a little plant, uh, a candle, a stone, a frame with a picture in it, something that you keep with you or on you or on your desk that, or a flower that gives you a moment of that softening. You know? So there's all kinds of ways you can do it. You can do it by touching your body. You can do it by feeling your body. You can smell things. You can see things. You can uh, hear things that shorten the distance between numb and orgasm, let's say, right? Because why most women have a hard time transitioning is that the, the, the gap's so big, right? You're completely numb doing whatever the fuck needs to be done at work, and then you drive home, and as you drive home, you know, you have barely enough time to feel yourself, and then you're home, and then supposedly you're supposed to have, like, sexy times, right? <laughs> and it's like, you, you know, there's no amount of foreplay that bridges that gap in a decent amount of time. So it just doesn't. <laughs> That's not true. There's not no amount of foreplay, but it's an enormous amount of foreplay. So, so your, your own foreplay, so to speak, even if you're not with somebody and you just want to get out of that mode at night, is background pleasure. And then the next step is practices that remind you of what's most important to you in your body. You're probably going to enjoy practices of fullness, like the dancing, like taking a bath, like cuddling the dog, 
uh, like eating something that's delicious, you know, things of that nature. So you have background pleasure, which brings you to a certain point, and then you do rehab practice, so to speak. And then at that point, you're hopefully at a place where, you know, you feel somewhat integrated and to you normal. Uh, but the real emphasis is not on feminine. The real emphasis is on less push, right? And that applies to men and women alike. You can, you, it's the same for the guys, less push. Uh, and one of the, the reasons why I'm so almost maniacally against the masculine-feminine terminology these days, even though it's super helpful, the relief of realizing that what's happening with you has a name, right, is, is great. But the reason I'm so against it is that, for instance, in the masculine domain, a lot of guys completely conflate having a purpose and, and penetrating a woman with being tight as fuck, right? And they can find anything, and they're like just this bulging, tense mass of something, right? That's, that's not... I mean, who wants that? It's like a cheap imitation of what would happen if a guy would actually relax, which is he comes naturally to center. He's naturally quiet and, and purposed and, and sourced. Yeah. But if you layer all these layers of behaviors on top of it so that somehow you become that thing that achieves the goal that makes your life whatever you think it is, it becomes quite painful uh, over time. So relaxation, relaxation, relaxation. Background pleasure, background pleasure, background pleasure. Pleasure practices, you know. And so that all said, you can be as relaxed and as soft at work as you can manage to make yourself, but you just don't show it. Now, will it emanate from you and probably make people more drawn to you? Absolutely. But then you can always have the choice of somewhat containing it and sealing it so it doesn't leak out. Uh, like I said in that, in that podcast, the thing that I said in the podcast for those who haven't heard it is I was in a board meeting and it was me and a whole bunch of guys in very expensive suits. London, you know, like super, super high-end financial board meeting. And I'm in my little Hugo Boss outfit, and you know, nothing's, everything's covered, and my hair's back, and it's like all. And one of the guys said something, and for a moment, just for a moment, I kind of forgot, you know, the appropriate behavior there. And I laughed, and I was very, very delighted by whatever it was. And I laughed, and I kind of pulled my neck back as I was laughing. And every guy's eyes in the room went right there. And it was so, it's hard to describe because it was like, ooh, shit. Right? Because I could see that it was just the light or the energy or the movement of that thing drew everything there, which was completely inappropriate. Yeah. In, inappropriate for the situation. We were there to conduct business, not for me to show off my femininity or something like that. And it has no place there. 
It has nothing to do with being taken serious. My being taken serious has nothing to do with me being masculine or feminine or whatever. It has to do with appropriate because it was um, distracting from the issue. It wasn't like anybody went like, oh shit, what was that? I mean, immediately went back to, it just wasn't the thing to do. I wasn't there to delight the guys and give them a moment of something. I was there to observe a very serious process where they were voting on something and blah, blah, blah. And I was hired for a very specific thing. So it's not that I'm not being taken serious or something like that. It's just inappropriate. It's a it was a sexual moment in a completely non-sexual environment. What I'm talking about is leakiness. You know, conscious or unconscious leaking of sexual stuff for the sake of personal gratification. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Now, I've had those moments. I like to be seen with the best of them, particularly now that it's coming to the end of my visibility years. You know, that's true. I mean, it's... It's different when you are 25 and you walk into a room than when you're 50 and you walk in a room. That's a very different level of attention uh, and a very different level of visibility. And as you get older, your visibility shrinks unless you start wearing crazy outfits, and get more and more naked or shit like that. Yeah. So I've done all of that. And I'm not saying you can't. You just need to know what the consequences are. That's all it is. And I wasn't willing to pay that particular price in that particular situation. It just happened. It was like I said, it wasn't a big deal. It was just a huge um, realization on my end how little it takes to distract a room full of men uh, when you want to. <laughs> right? um, I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm on the foothills of that. And... Um, so I don't have any first-person, this-is-what-works uh, experience. I have lots of friends who've been there and uh, successfully made it through, right? who have all kinds of ideas about it. And I think there's, there's two different things that, that one can con consider, one of which is just herbal and other supplements, right, that, that clearly have helped lots and lots of women. And there's a, pl you know, there's a plentitude of those, and I'm not an, a, a doctor or, you know, a nurse practitioner, but there's, of course, all the yam extracts and all of those kind of things that really uh, supposedly help a lot. Uh, uh, diet supposedly makes a huge difference. Uh, the less carbs, the better, they say. For, it's not true for all women, but for most women. Um, so, so I would definitely make sure that you're supported in the supplement department as much as one can. Christy Northrop is one of the big pioneers in, in that. That's that piece, and that piece I can't really talk about yet. But what I can talk about, and what's a very, very active inquiry for me personally, since I'm headed there, is how do you reconcile with those things that once were almost pesky, right, and that once were uh, to be taken for granted that now, longer, now no longer are, you know. Yeah, like, for instance, the attention, right? I mean, I prided myself for most of my life that I could be completely invisible, and that's served me very well. Right? I can move through an airport or a room full of people without, pretty much without being seen if I don't want to. 
And I've practiced that, you know, in all different kinds of ways so that I could get in and out of situations, so I could get in and out of uh, rooms, out of airports, out of, you know, speaking engagements, so that I wasn't bothered by people and stuff like that. Now, I don't have to try anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but now that happens, and that feeling of, see how I can say this, the feeling of things not fully done, things not fully harvested, things not fully experienced, things not fully expressed because it was taken for granted, because you don't pay that much attention to it while you have it, um, is something that I become more and more aware of. And I'm sure older women told me this when I was younger and I disregarded it. And so whenever I tell younger women now, I, I'm not sure how much it does, right? But there is a, there's a, I have a very specific feeling of, you know, there were things I didn't do with my body or f with my body and for my body. There's things I didn't fully m uh, mine or experience or express because I took them for granted. Yeah. And so now that they're no longer being taken for granted, I have a much stronger, and this is, I experience what you experience with the creativity, I have a much higher level of immediate creativity and thrust and fullness because, and I see it, I, I see it for myself because I know I don't have that much time left. Yeah. And yeah, you know, when I'm saying not much time left, hopefully everybody in my family lived a long time, but you know, you never know, you could get sick and die very quickly. Or certain things just go away. Right? I've taken my breasts and their beauty entirely for granted for all my life. And now that, you know, stuff's rapidly going south. <laughs> and my skin tone, right? I can suddenly see my skin tone and I don't hydrate as well anymore. And I got these things happening suddenly and all of that. And when you're younger, you think, oh, well, a few good nights sleep and a facial and you're fine. Now it's the, this is probably the best I'm ever going to look again. Uh, and I look at my mother who's 75 and uh, photos of my grandmother, and I know it's inevitable I'm going to be that shrivelly and that wrinkly, uh, which is not an easy thing to handle. And I don't think, I think aging gracefully is a myth, personally. I, I think that there's a level of surrender you have to have because it is inevitable, but surrender isn't like resignation. Right? It's, it, because you could easily get resigned and you can't get resigned. You have to kind of surrender into the fact that these things are inevitable and at the same time uh, live vicariously and fully and not let anything or any stone unturned yeah, in, in a certain way because it's all going at some point or another. Right? And so... I don't have an easy answer, right? I struggle tremendously some days, like really struggle where I'm going, like, 
fuck, where did this come from? Right? And, and, and then you get used to it, and then the next thing happens, and, you know, and, and gray, and this, and that. And at the same time, my willingness to engage with life has seriously upped, right? Seriously upped. So, and, and that's how I play with it, is that for everything that goes, something else comes. And the key is to embrace with total vigor what's there and what comes, and then deal with the rest with whatever you have to deal with. You know. Oils and glubes and <laughs> slather shit all over, and you know, take herbs and drink water and, and stuff like that. But, but I think the not going for any guy that comes along for, this, for the sake of the last it doesn't have to do with hormones necessarily. I think at some point you do realize the enormous cost of in getting involved with somebody. I mean, at least I do. You know, I'm, I'm getting less and less and less willing to open myself to that amount of energetic imprint and <laughs> heartache. And even if it's great, the energetic imprint is so substantial that... I'm not, exactly, it does set you back. So I'm not, I'm not that willing to engage. It, of course, makes it a bit harder to engage um, sexually or, or psychosexually, at least, because you're not as willing to just play. But it also makes it a lot more worthwhile because when, it's, uh, when there's engagement, it's full engagement. Uh, and it's informed consent, so to speak. You know what you're doing. Once again, you know, I think it's where it, it, you, we don't meet, right? When you really look at what happens in a man's body and in a man's psyche versus what happens in a woman's body, it's a, it's a miracle that we get to, you know, that we get beyond fucking and, and having children, right? Because in a man's body, it's not that complicated. And in a man's psyche, it's not that complicated. And most men, if they would be allowed to, would have multiple sexual partners at all times because it's like different kinds of shoes or clothes, right? So man's relationship to sexual variety is like a woman's relationship to clothing or food variety. It's not a matter of love or, or something like that. But when a guy doesn't go there for whatever reasons he chooses not to or the agreement in a relationship is such or he supplements in non-sexual ways. They're quite simple. Yeah? They're quite simple in, in many ways. Most guys have had the same sexual fantasy since they were 15. So they have one or two sexual fantasies. When you look at how guys use porn, they look at the same shit all the time. And it's like, like really? <laughs> You're still onto this, right? And the answer is yes. So, so a good sexual experience is that whatever loop that he runs there that he likes is fulfilled, right? And if on top of that he's capable of having a nice emotional connection to the woman of his choice and there's love involved and all of that, that's all he wants, yeah. Doesn't need a fancy meal necessarily. There's a few guys who like the fancy meals, 
But us, on the other hand, oh man, right? I mean, doing the same thing twice, why, right? <laughs> Essentially, it's like a constant new and fresh. And like you said, the rituals become more elaborate. And now you're going, we've done this, now we can go here. And I want deeper, and I want more, and I want longer, and I want fuller. And it's, um, it's never ending. And I can tell you, because I have been there, I've been with guys who had vast capacity and extreme stamina, and I'd still get bored. I'd still want more. My way out is that I have enormous amounts of interaction with myself in that domain. So I do all my rituals and my kind of sex magic and my ritual, my blood magic, and whatever the fuck I'm doing, which we don't even want to go to, right? <laughs> but I do vast amounts of that by myself, opposite of God. So my deepest imprint, and I've trained myself very diligently for that, is that I'm being fucked by God first. And that even when it's a man, that man is God, is, is an expression of God. And so... I constantly derive my deepest imprint from a non-human form so that something in me gets somewhat satiated. And I enjoy a good ritual and you know, good everything, and I have my own studio at home, so if I'm home, I can do endless, and I sometimes do you know, hours and hours and hours and hours of shit for myself, and self-pleasure and dancing and painting and whatever, but to God and then that somewhat loosens my relationship to that with a partner, which makes uh, it a bit easier. And, you know, with yourself and God, you can have endless fun. (laughs) To be very blasphemous, I find Jesus to be an extremely good fucker. And whatever means you use for that. Some people do it with drugs, right? Like psychedelics and stuff like that. Some people do it with rituals. Some people do it with food. Some people do it with alcohol. Some people do it sober. Right? That's up to you. And I have a whole variety of, um, of ways that I play that. Uh, and my kind of my, my self-pleasure, so to speak, is kind of, I hate to say it like that, but it's almost medicinal. Right? I go... What's happening? Why am I so whatever? Oh, I haven't had that in a while. And then that's the thing I do. And then that loosens things back up. If you allow yourself to kind of go down the Shiva route, you know, then, or or in in the mythical route, then of course you have endless amounts of hands and cocks and things. And (laughs) there's, there's endless fun to be had. But, you know, I mean, I'm making a bit fun of it, but it's a deeply heart-opening, devotional, just full-on, where you can kind of feel the pressure of, you know, the God force on your body internally, you know, where, like, 
you know, we haven't, and this is not the, the thing to talk about it, but like in the five, I'm going to do a five day, a five day women's event in May here in Byron. Like you can have like full on cervical orgasms without even stimulation by just learning how to, to interact with that and move with that. There's so much pressure and fullness and thickness coming into you that you're not as dependent on a man to handle that. Well, yeah, these are very specific practices, but they take long amounts of actual teaching, right? Uh, so that's definitely what I'm, I'm going to definitely teach some of that in Byron, yes. Well, I can't give you a taster because these require daily practices. The friction, the, the thing to understand is that the friction is what makes it interesting. doesn't mean your relationship needs to be filled with friction. But the sexual occasion is pure friction, right? Meaning you are not alike. You are as different as two humans can be, which means you are not going to agree. It's just not, right? Now, that's why I'm saying you don't want to make a lifestyle out of it. And some of the people who have made a lifestyle out of it have unbelievably dysfunctional relationships. Right? Because they fight all the time and they have nothing in common and they suffer in large parts of their life, but they just have really hot sex. Mm -hmm. And that works for some people, particularly if they don't live together. But if you actually have a life and God forbid you have kids, you know, you can't have that kind of uh, massive friction. So you want to learn how to create erotic tension when you want to have erotic tension and learn how to have um, harmony in the rest of your life. Uh, or, or you shouldn't live with a partner. You know? Because if, if it's all about fighting and, makeup and hot makeup sex in the, in the worst case scenario, right? why? Right. It's, it's, but but, the, but the, the, the hottest sex is hot because you are not the same. No. And that's the, the thing that most people don't want to deal with, is that in the moment of that sexual occasion, now it can immediately flip afterwards, but in the moment of the sexual occasion, you are, it's, it's almost impersonal. It's not you, and particularly in deity yoga and that kind of sex, it's completely impersonal. Because you're not even there. And that's not for the faint of heart. Because all the ways that you like to hook into a partner are going to show up, which is why one does such exploration. And that's all being cut out. So all the ways that you hook, all the ways that you trap, all the ways that you expect, all the ways that you perform for love, all of that shows up. And... As you disconnect from that, there's less and less and less, free, you know, there's less and less um, hooking and more and more and more just pure friction, which then makes for fantastic sexual engagement. But it certainly doesn't feed the machinery of the cult of the two people, yeah. um, you know, connecting. So, mm-hmm.
Well, I just want to say that deity yoga is a very specific engagement that very few people want or need to do. You can have really great hot sex without any of the deity yoga shit that I'm talking about, right? And, and what it is, is willingly assuming opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So how that plays out, let's say, if you are the one who likes to be fucked, to stick with the gross terms, and you want a man who penetrates you or fucks you, what that means is that in the sexual occasion, you relinquish the doing or the control, and he picks it up. You know, to a fairly extreme uh, case. So that requires uh, a certain kind of gathering of the energy and focusing of the energy and the penetration, the thrust and the strength, which, of which the opposite is wild and full and not necessarily wild as in crazy wild, but like, like you did in, these, in, these, in the last exercise, which is why we did it. Like, bigger expression of energy than you would usually do throughout the day or in the office, for instance. Right? So what that means is that your body needs to be capable of bringing that kind of energy. Coincidentally, of course, pleasure has to do with how much energy you can hold or conduct. Right? So one way of imagining this is that you have these garden hoses you know, in, in the, the, the channels, the nadis in the, you know, there's, there's different philosophies around it, but you have channels, you have these little garden hoses, and some of them are all kinked and shriveled up. And so when first energy comes through them, it takes quite a bit of pressure to straighten these things out and then keep them straight. And then eventually when the pressure increases, if they're not fully built, they explode or you just can't get enough energy through, so to speak. Right? So our ability to have pleasure is something that can be trained because you train how to get more and more and more energy through, that, through a channel. So that makes you make the channel thicker and the flow stronger. And then that gives you increased pleasure or increased expression or increased life force energy or increased creativity or whatever it is. So you train for that by, by a twofold process. Number one, the biggest enemy of full flow, of course, is tension. Right? When something's constricted, blood vessel and channel alike, very little can get through. So before you even consider widening capacity, so to speak, the easiest thing is to just relax. Uh, and we know that just from our own body functions, and that applies energetically and sexually. So relaxation, bodily relaxation, is the number one thing you can do. And then the second thing is to actually strengthen the muscle and the flow and the energetics of the expression, which is exactly what we did today. The key with these things is it's like, exactly like weight training. If you want to have a stronger biceps, you're not going to do squats, right? You're going to train your biceps. So if you say you want, I don't know what it is, the wild woman, you do wild woman every day. Well, at some point you realize that you are facile, 
right? It's like, when do you know it's enough to train your bicep? Well, your bicep does what you wanted your bicep to do. And then you have to maintain it, of course, right? But then you'll add a different flavor. And then you'll add a different flavor. And often it's most useful to first train your natural flavor. Because very few of us are naturally expressed as fully as we want. I have a natural flavor, right? I'm a, I'm a natural brunette, so to speak. And my flavor is naturally quite fiery. And you know, I have a lot of energy. So the first thing that I would do if I wanted to really explore that is I would maximize what I have. I'd learn how to be completely unsuppressed in my natural home flavor, so to speak, right? Somebody else, like her flavor is completely different than my flavor, right? So if I wanted to learn her flavor, I would have to actually work on it because mm-hmm. her flavor is not native to me. Mm-hmm. So, if I, so, for, so I would probably first work my flavor so that I'm fluid with that, and then I'd look at her, and then I'd start feeling her, and then I'd start feeling the distinctions of that flavor, and then I'll see, then I'll watch her move, and I'll feel what my body feels like when I see her move, and I feel her texture, and the certain, you know, this beautiful kind of watery coolness she has, which is not native to me, uh, and I would have to really, really, really work on acquiring that flavor and I do it every day, you know, every day. And then maybe I'll go to completely blonde, right? Like um, super like Swedish blonde or Finnish blonde, right? And I'll play with that. And, and all of that will require over and over and over and over that I learn different traits, that I move my body differently. You could pick an archetype, you can pick a person, you can pick a movie character, you can pick a song, you can pick a, you know, you can enact rain, you can dance rain every day. If rain flavor is, there's endless amounts of flavors, volcano flavor, hurricane flavor, dog flavor, cat flavor, right? I mean, there's no end to the flavors. Well, it's not that easy to do because barely anybody is fully expressed in their own flavor. That's why I would always start with your own flavor uh, in home practice. So I'm saying this to say, if you want to learn how to play the piano, you're not going to play the trombone one day and the harmonica the next day and then the piano the third day. You're going to get a piano and you're going to play the fucking piano. So, so when you're saying Gabriel Ross, chaos, this, that... That's a different thing. That's just making your body alive. But if you want to practice flavors, I'd stick with one flavor relentlessly till you got it. Because even the most delicious flavor gets old over time. It's like having pizza every night. I mean, I definitely think men have flavors and men should have flavors. And the reason I'm saying it's good in a man too is, I mean, most of us enjoy an occasional different flavor in a man as well, right? I mean, who hasn't looked at, um, I don't know, a, a, a buff firefighter in a tight uniform and gone, ah, that's kind of nice, you know, <laughs> something like that. I mean, all kinds of things, right? I mean, and we typically also like the flavors we don't get, 
you know. Not all the time, but ever so often. And I think it's very good for men to also have the freedom to play with the energetics of their body. You know, like one of the flavors that's very useful for most women to see in a man is like warrior. Because there's something very, very deeply primal about that. Do you have to do it? No. Um, is it interesting? Yes. Do we do it anyway? Absolutely. Most of us like to dress up ever so often and buy different clothes and experiment with different things and put wigs on and whatever else, right? We do it anyway. Well, yeah, of course, any woman should be able to be looser, more energetic and more filled with life and pleasure than her man. Typically speaking, if you are actually feeling pleasure in your body, your capacity for pleasure is much higher than his. I'm, I'm, I'm being very, very careful here to not give you a prescription because what I'm suggesting might not be the way to go. You need to feel what actually does it for you. Instead of going, okay, if I dance in front of my man, everything will be fine. And it sounds a bit like your man has all kinds of book-read ideas about this kind of shit anyway. So I wouldn't go with the prescription. I would go with what actually works. And with what you actually want to do, because you have no chance in hell of having a pleasurable experience if you are just doing for the sake of doing. Right? So I would find, what would you actually like to do? And then do that. And then do that well. And then do that with joy. And do that with pleasure and actually enjoy yourself. That's a much better prescription than me telling you what to do with your partner. No. I'd throw him for a loop ever so often if I were you. I would throw him for a loop ever so often. I would certainly not go along with whatever um, rules he puts there. Yeah, good. Still throw him for a loop. Exactly. But don't do what he thinks you're going to do. Do what actually would give you joy in doing. Yeah. That's, that's your real secret. Is you don't have to do much if you actually have pleasure in your body. Very little goes a very long way. Coming to the very end of my reproductive years, I thankfully never felt this. Right? I have conceptual moments where I'm going, wow, what would it have been to have a child? Right? How old would my child be if I would have chosen to have a child when, I, when that window was open? And all of that. And I certainly have to say that just from a very tribal level, I'm very sad that I never got to give birth and breastfeed. I am absolutely not sad that I didn't have a child, uh, which, which is kind of a weird, weird juxtaposition, right? It's like if I could have, which I knew I could have never done, if I could have been pregnant, given birth, you know, experienced all of that, and then not had to deal with the next 18 years, I would have done that. But of course, that's not, that's not, you don't do that, right? That's horrible, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of ways. Not the least for you, but for the child, of course. So I can speak about this with authority because I haven't had a child and I have never felt what you felt. 
However, I can tell you that now coming to the very end of my reproductive years, I can tell you that you don't want to get to the point where you are there and something's undone. No, because it's, it's a real shit moment in time when that door closes well, permanently. Um, not only fertility-wise, but also stamina, age, health, you know, there's all other kinds of considerations. I have a friend right now, she's 50, she's pregnant with her first child. And I think that's pretty fucked, you know, in a certain <laughs> way. I know, I know, but it's like, you know, because she's putting all these hormones into her body, there's a price to pay for that. She's going to be 68, 69 by the time her child gets out of school and is adult. Right? So that's, that's, you know, I mean, assuming she lives a healthy life and all of that, it's not the end of the world, but it's not necessarily where you want to end up. And so the exploration there would be to mentally go there all the way and then spend a lot of time sniffing that baby, <laughs> you know, and really being with the baby and any baby you can get your hands on uh, for that matter and, and with people with toddlers and with people with six-year-olds and you know, people with 15-year-olds, right? And really see if that persistent yearning is just the biological knee-jerk or if it's something that's really a life purpose and, and, and life thing because you don't want to have missed it if it's the thing that you must do in your life. And like you said, when you feel into your husband and also you have to feel into your unborn child or your not born child, right? The consequences of having a baby for some of the reasons people have babies are pretty extreme. Uh, as we all know, because not everybody in here was wanted, you know, or raised well, even when they were wanted. So, you know, and then there's other things to consider. I don't want to get all doomsday on everybody, but when you look at the current state of world health, right, like the health of the planet, you have to also kind of consider that you might bring a child into a world that's not sustainable till that child's end of life, right? Uh, which we're at this point now, right, where probably shit's going to go down in the next 10, 15 years with no more clean water and you know, all kinds of horrible things. So I would engage in that process about as fully as you can because the more fully you feel it, the clearer you're going to be what the course of action is. Uh, avoiding it is certainly the worst possible choice, you know. You want to sniff that baby regularly. <laughs> you want to sniff that baby regularly, vigorously, right? You want, to, you want to do the opposite of what one would want to do, which is not deal. No, or suppress that yearning. You want to feel this yearning so fully that either you get to the point where you know that that's the way to go, or you've, come, you've popped through to what's beyond that. Yeah. And in May, I'm doing five days, and there we'll go into, uh, you know, pleasure and orgasms and flavors and all kinds of stuff because it's five full days. And um, 
super excited about this. This was just a tiny little slice. Feel free to email me with any questions. It might sometimes take me a little while to get back to people because I get shitloads of emails, but I will get back to you and I will answer your stuff personally. And um, good night. Thank you. Thank you.